Ralph. Brother Ralph. Ralph.
good morning. Sorry. Welcome, faithful, this snowy day. Uh, it is good to be here. Um, I pray for those who are still making their way here, that they get here safely. To the increased group that are watching online today, I'm quite sure we have quite a few more there today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, Pastor Jerry is bringing the word today. I am looking forward to it. It's been a while. Jerry, I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say, what God's placed on his heart. Join me in prayer. Our Father and our God. Thank you, Lord God, for this place, Lord God. Thank you for those who got here this morning and opened it and shoveled and plowed and did all the things they needed to do. Thank you for the many people that offer themselves and their time to this church. Bless them for their efforts. Bless them for their work. Lord God, this day, this snowy January day, may your word go forth. May those hearing it on the line, may, they, may it touch their hearts, may it change their hearts, may it draw them closer to you. For those here in this room, the same blessings upon them. We love you, Lord. May every part of this service be an extension of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me as we read the creed, which is covered. Or didn't get put back up here. So I'm going to turn around to make sure I don't make a mistake. <laughs> I will exalt. Wait. Oh, I'm sorry. Give us a creed. Thank you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to go to the Word, so if you could bring that back up. Psalm 145. A praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, my King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim, proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyful singing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory, of your kingdom, and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Amen. Let's worship. Whether you're at home or here today, we invite you to stand and join the team for worship. Great is your faithfulness, O God. 
online, I encourage you to unite your hearts with us. There's no distance in the presence of God. On this Epiphany Sunday, when we remember the visit of the wise men to Jesus, I pray that your heart would be open to a new revelation and epiphany of Christ in your life. Father, as we gather, few in number in this room, more joining us online, we are thankful that in you there is no distance, and we pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Lord, we have carried all kinds of needs into this room this morning, and those who are joining us online are carrying needs in their own hearts. Pray for Jimmy Stoll, Lord, this morning. We pray for Jim Pash, asking your healing in their lives. We pray for our congregation, Lord, those who are struggling with other needs, that they would know the guidance, the presence of your Spirit, lifted, sustained. Thank you, Lord. We pray for our church body at the very beginning of this new year, thanking you for the blessings of the past, thanking you for the legacy of ministry here, but asking, Lord, that that would only be the forerunner of those things that are yet to come in your plan and your purposes. We do pray that your kingdom would come through us, that we would, as we aspire to make a difference for your kingdom in this region, and indeed, Lord, in our corner of the world, that they would take note that there is Christ the Lord. Lord, we pray for the troubled world. I pray so for our troubled world. 
Be the Prince of Peace, Lord. We pray for those who suffer in war in Ukraine, in Gaza, and other parts of the globe. We ask, Lord, that you would touch them. We pray that those who yearn for violence would be curbed, that the presence of your Spirit would change the hearts of those who lead. And Lord, as we continue this morning through this service, touch us here, bless us, help us to respond adequately to your word with a ready obedience. All this I ask in the name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Greet somebody, at least both of the people standing on the other side of the sanctuary. Those of you who are online, we greet you this morning. Again, let's go through a few announcements together. Um, as a reminder, we always welcome people who are new here. But if you are not new here, there is a way for you to um, ask for prayer, to ask for information. You can always um, scan the QR code or send a message to the office or Pastor Jason at faithdiscovery.com. Um, and we would love to know what's going on in your life or ways that you need um, prayer or support. So um, please always feel free to do that, and we are glad that you're joining us today. Um, Awana and youth will be canceled today because of what's happening outside, and who even knows what it will be like later. So we have one more week of rest, but we will be back next week and planning for the Gridiron Challenge and all those fun things coming up. Um, also coming up this week, Bible study will be back on Wednesday evening, so plan to be here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock as Pastor Jerry leads this next um, few weeks of study. I'm in the book of Exodus, and you are very welcome to that. Also coming up, this is your invitation to our annual business meeting, um, especially if you are a member. Um, we ask that you be with us on January 21st, right after service around 12 p.m. Um, we will start to hear about... Um, what our year has been like here at FDC, and if you are not a member, um, you are still invited to hear um, all the things that have been happening and the way that, ways that God has been faithful to us in this last year. All right, here it comes. <laughs> your announcement for VBS. <laughs> Save the date. So this is what we do in January. So you don't miss it. We are going under the sea. Last year we went to outer space. This year we are going under the sea. And next week you'll get a little taste of what it might be like. But um, please put it on your calendar July 8th through 12th um, for kids in your life, for yourself, even if you've never volunteered before. We will take you under the sea with us and you will have a wonderful time, I promise. So um, put that on your calendar, the registration, and all of those things will be open, and you'll get all of that information. But for now, open your phone, put it in there, and start telling people there's a week in July that they and their kids will love. 
we're looking forward to it. Um, and on that note as well, we, that is one of our main goals here, one of our main mission statements is that we prioritize the next generation. So when you give, when you give your tithes, when you give special offerings for our youth, we pray that um, we are faithful in discipling those kids that we see every week, kids that we sometimes see once a year. Um, but we thank you for your giving. We thank you um, that you give online, that you give in person, and for all the ways that you support us here and that we can support the kids who come through these doors and the youth as well. All right. So thank you for that, and we're going to continue in worship. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountains I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to where my Your very 
And for our our young worship leader who stepped in at the very last moment because David couldn't make it. Thank you so much, Nathan. Good job. Good job. Thanks, team. Appreciate your ministry. Children, both of you, if you can be dismissed to Children's Church, Michelle Canada is ready to greet you right here. Here she comes. please pray Jesus model prayer with me I'm sure that you know the words but they'll be on the screen behind me Jesus said this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread or give our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Your kingdom come. When we pray those words, we have to ask ourselves, what am I asking? What are you asking? It's so easy to say the words, right? They're so familiar. I do a a lot of funerals for the community, and one of the common things that Christians from Catholicism to Pentecost share is the Lord's Prayer. And we often say it together, and as I hear people saying that, I ask myself, I wonder what they think they're praying for. But I'm asking you this morning, what do you think you are praying for when you say, Your kingdom come? Jesus said this about the kingdom in Luke chapter 13. What is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It's like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden and it grows and becomes a tree 
And even the birds make nests in its branches. We Americans are not much for royalty, are we? Aren't you glad we don't have a king? (laughs) I'm quite glad we don't have a king. But we are intrigued by royals. But the idea that a person should simply have the right to rule because of their birth order strikes me as absurd. I don't know about you. Why in the world does the, the thing that you just happen to be born, be born into a family with certain DNA endow you with the right to make decisions on behalf of other people? But that's how kingdoms work. But the concept of a king and a kingdom is not really something that we as Americans have processed well. It's not something that we think much about, I don't believe. And that's why this morning it's my desire to speak to you about the kingdom of God. By no means can I exhaust the subject. I could preach for a quarter of 13 weeks on the kingdom of God and still not exhaust what the Bible says. But I hope just to talk to you about some of the basics of the theme of the kingdom of God to start your thoughts, because I think it is incredibly important as we begin a new year for us to understand the reign and the rule of God and the implications in our lives. Would you agree? It's okay. We're Pentecostals. You can say amen. Thank you, both of you. I'm, I'll, be conf- I'll confess, I am deeply burdened about the state of, Amer- uh, the state of Christianity in America. Lots and lots and lots of people want Jesus to be Savior. Many fewer want him to be king. Lots and lots of people want to know that they're going to go to heaven, but many fewer want to actually follow Jesus as a disciple, making him king and Lord. The kingdom of heaven is a major part of the Gospels. Jesus talked about the kingdom dozens and dozens of times when he sent out the first disciples on the very first preaching tour. His commission words were these in Luke chapter 9. Go, preach, the kingdom of God has come near you, and heal the sick. By the way, that phrase, heal the sick, is a very broad phrase. We tend to think of it only as making people who are physically ill better. But when Jesus used the phrase, heal the sick, he was talking about a full restoration of the person. Bring wholeness to that person. How do you bring that wholeness? Jesus said, by proclaiming the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, The Jews who first heard Jesus talking about the kingdom, and Pastor Jason mentioned this many times, the Jews who first heard that, they were very much in a messianic mindset. And they believed that Jesus' kingdom, or the kingdom of which Jesus spoke, was a restoration of the throne of King David and the restoration of the glory of Israel and the elimination of the Roman occupation. That's what they heard when they heard kingdom. Pilate heard about Jesus being a king. Remember when Jesus went before Pilate? And one of the questions that Pilate asked him is, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, well, is that your own idea or did somebody tell you that? Pilate says, am I a Jew? Do I understand your customs? But he said, it was your people, it was your chief priest who handed you over to me, accusing you of being a king. What have you done what is your kingdom and jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if it were those who serve me would fight to present prevent my arrest my kingdom is from another place Pilate says then and i i hear the hint of sarcasm in his words you are a king then 
And Jesus said, yes, you are right in saying that I am a king. In fact, it was for this reason that I was born, that I came into this world. Again, I hear the hint of sarcasm in Pilate's words because he has a man captive before him, standing nearly naked, in chains, bleeding and broken. And he says to him, you think you're a king? You're deluded. So the Jews expect a Messiah, deliverer. Pilate thinks he's deluded. We tend to to have a very similar uh, conclusion, mix of conclusions about what it means to have Jesus as the king. We may think of Jesus in terms of the kingdoms of this world, kingdoms built on power and guns and bombs and money and influence. I hope that's not your concept of the king because what have those kingdoms largely brought to our world? Sorrow. Sadness. The pride of those who rule so often comes much more into focus than compassion for humanity itself. God bless those benevolent rulers, but they are few and far between. So I hope that you don't think of Jesus just in terms of an earthly kingdom. We see those who brought such an outpouring of hatred in October in Israel. We see the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. I prayed for both both of those things. They've consumed billions of dollars and thousands of lives. And we see, and it's it's largely hidden from us, but we see around the world thousands of Christians martyred on an annual basis by those who hate Christianity, who hold power. Often, my only cry in response to all this, honestly, sometimes the only thing I can pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. I can't tell you how many times I've laid in the small hours of the morning praying for this congregation, praying for people that I love, praying for this world, and found myself just breathing over and over, Lord, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So what do I mean? What am I saying? Well, the first thing that we need to understand about the kingdom is that it has a personal Implication. The kingdom of God is personal. Jesus invited you and me to enter the kingdom. As I already mentioned, we like to talk about Jesus as Savior, and I do treasure my salvation. I am so thankful that I have the assurance of his love and grace, that I can look at my life and know that I am a child of God because of the salvation Jesus Christ has given to me. I'm thankful for a lifetime that I've enjoyed of peace and security. And even now as I'm older, being able to face the closing years of my life with hope and expectation because there is a Savior. But is that all of kingdom truth? I don't think so. We're called, as I mentioned before, to be disciples, to enter the kingdom of God. And another way to put that is to become citizen subjects of the king of glory. So as we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, there's an element of personal surrender. That's tough. Or is it just me? (laughs) It's a lot easier to say than it is to do. There are all kinds of things that stand in the way of us embracing Christ the King, not the least of which is our American love of independence. We love independence, don't we? We love our freedom. And I'm glad to be in America. I'm glad for freedom. I thought this week as I was thinking about this thoughts, remember the first day you got your driver's license and you went on your first trip by yourself? 
I know a lot of us in this room are old, but I can still remember. I was 14 because we, we had a thing in Jersey back then. I don't know if they still have it, a farmer's permit. They still have that, Ralph? Oh, okay. If you had a vehicle that had farm plates on it, you could drive so many miles from home when you were 14. And I remember getting in the old farm truck after getting my farmer's license and taking my first solo trip. And, oh, what freedom. What liberation. It marked a new era. And if you have kids and they get their license, you know it marks a new era. Maybe much to your chagrin when they sail off by themselves doing what is incidentally the most dangerous thing that teenagers do, driving a car. Of course, I also remember when I was 16 years of age, that day in Pittstown, New Jersey, when in that Cessna 150, my instructor opened the door on his side of the airplane and got out and said, she's all yours. I remember going out to the end of the runway and aiming that plane down the the nose of that plane down the runway and shoving the throttle to the firewall and feeling my feet vibrate on the rubber, rudder pedals from nervousness, but also exhilarated, freedom taking to the sky. 16 years old. What a, what a feeling. Those things are just symbolic, though, of how we regard freedom in our lives. I don't know what it is that is a symbol of freedom to you. I don't know what love of independence impacts your life. But that feeling can complicate our understanding of what it means to experience the kingdom personally. Surrendering. I have never been in the presence of a king, at least not to my knowledge. But I'm told there's all kinds of protocol. You don't get to do it the way you want to do it. You're told this is how you will approach royalty. This is how you will act in their presence. This is what you will do. You won't touch them. You won't approach them from a... Can imagine, imagine if I saw King Charles and I walked up, Hey, how you doing, Charlie? <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> How's Cammy? <laughs> no. I would be expected to address him as your majesty, regardless of my personal feelings. Amplify that a million times. When we come to Jesus, we don't come in our own terms. Breaks my heart when people come to Jesus with a, how you doing, dude in heaven? He's not dude in heaven. He's the king. He asks us to personally surrender ourselves, and he speaks to us with words that are uncompromising. In Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to hold on to his own independence, will certainly lose his life. But whoever loses his life, whoever gives himself away, in submission to the king for the sake of the gospel will certainly save it. So as you conceive of the kingdom, can I ask you first to think of your own personal surrender and submission. Christ the king. Mark tells us a sad story of a young man who was hungry for spiritual life, who came to Jesus with a question. He said, how do I find eternal life? 
Mark chapter 10 says Jesus felt genuine love for the man as he looked at him. Listen carefully to what Jesus said to him out of that love. It may not seem a loving statement to you at first, but Jesus said, Young man, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give your money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And after you do that, come and follow me. And at that, the Bible says the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had many possessions. Don't misunderstand the meaning of that story. That is not a universal, compelling story to poverty. Jesus spoke to that man's stand of independence. He said, that which is keeping you from the kingdom of God is not your spiritual hunger. It is your love of the things that you have. If he were to address you, what would he speak to in your life? Maybe your status. Maybe your influence. It may be your family. It might be your possessions. None of those things can stand. He may say to you, he will say to each one of us, go, rid yourself of that love, then come, follow me. I'm the king. In many years of pastoral ministry, I've witnessed that story of that rich young man too many times. And my heart is saddened as I see people come and meet Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. And then they come to a moment of decision. Sometimes it's a year in discipleship. Sometimes it's ten years in. And they come to a moment of decision and they run up against the wall. And Jesus says, just surrender that thing. You can't go further till that wall is broken down. And if we will kneel before him, he will help us through it. But if we resist him, inevitably there is a deadly drift. I've seen it so many times. Your question in such a hard word might be the same question that Peter asked Jesus when he heard Jesus challenge to surrender his whole life. Peter says, but Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? Not a bad question. Lord, it's costly choice. What's the reward? Matthew 19 says, And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, those of you who have followed me will also sit on thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone, that's you and me, folks, everyone who leaves behind houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. For those who will be first, those who are first will be last, but many who are last will be first. Christ the King. Is he your personal king? That's the first aspect of the kingdom. But the kingdom is also reflected in our service to the world, in our practical actions. Yes, being a disciple starts with a personal transformation. It's an, in, it's an inside-out experience. It's not an outside-in, but it's evidenced in how we live and what we do. Jesus says this. You're very familiar with the passage. He says, by this, all men will know you are my disciples, that you love one another. There's going to be a transformation. By the way, that may seem trite to you, but people loving people is one of the rarest things in the world. Most of us love people for what they do for us. We're not aware of it, 
But our loves are highly conditional. But Jesus said, if you are my subject, your love for others, including those who are like you and those who are not like you, will be supernatural, other-centered. When Jesus came as a messenger of the kingdom of God, he just didn't talk about being reconciled to God. He did talk about that, but he also talked about sharing the gospel and pursuing a relationship with other people that benefited them with compassionate care. What did he do? He healed the sick with great compassion. He cared for the outcast, not just in words, but with loving touch, remember? Nobody touched lepers. Lepers were not only physically repulsive to people because of the deformity of their skin, but they were considered outcasts of society. And most of the people of that day believed you were a leopard because you deserved it. So you were an outcast. Jesus not only spoke to lepers, not only cared for lepers, touched them. He fed the hungry. He spread a feast so much so that some people began to follow him because they thought he was the bread king. <laughs> he spoke up for justice to those who were ignored and oppressed by the powerful. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? By the way, what happened to the man caught in adultery? But that's another sermon. And she was dragged by powerful men before Jesus, mostly to be used as a tool to entrap him without any thought of her dignity, without any thought of her personhood. And what did Jesus do? He cared about her. He cared a lot less about the opinion of those rich and powerful men who dragged her before him. He brought those who were far from God near to him, near to God. And these things we also must do if we are in the kingdom. No, of course, we cannot be saviors, but we can and must tell the story of one who saves, and we must go beyond that. Paul says that our primary message of the kingdom is be reconciled to God, be at peace with God. God is, is speaking a wonderful message to us, but we go beyond that. We not only bring people into the kingdom through the message of salvation, but we bring the kingdom to others. Richard Stearns, then president of World Vision, wrote a challenging book, I, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, in which he told his own story of faith and invited others to consider the fullest call of Christ. It's called The Hole in the Gospel. If you've never read it, I recommend it highly. Stearns was an executive. He was making great money, and he felt that God was moving him to other things. And somehow he became connected to world vision. And in the course of being involved in world vision, he realized that the call of Christ in our lives does not only include leading people to know Jesus as Savior, but it includes bringing a better life, a richer life, food, care, medical care. He said that those who don't understand that, they have a hole in the gospel. They don't understand. Jesus did both. He reconciled people to the Father, but he also cared deeply for them. Near the end of his ministry, Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's talking about the second coming. 
and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate them as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand, the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You're now going to experience the fullness of my reign. Now listen to what he says in this familiar passage, but hear it again as if for the first time. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. You cared for me. I was imprisoned and you visited me. And then those righteous men, righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick and or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, hear me carefully, I assure you, whatever you did to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you are doing it for me. I would conclude inescapably that if we would know the kingdom, if we would live in the kingdom, if we would live as kingdom people, that we will not only cherish our salvation, which is indeed our finest treasure, but we would also be people involved in the same work that Jesus did in making this world a better place. It is not an either-or proposition. It is a both-and Some call that second choice the social gospel. I was raised in an era in a church that said, no, our primary mission is to preach the gospel. The rest of that we leave to somebody else. What a mistake. But nor will I fall off the other side of the truck and say, well, my whole mission is to work in the food pantry and visit people in the hospital and do prison ministry. No, those things are important too. But the heart of all that is that they might be reconciled to the Father. Let me digress before I go to my third point to warn of something that Dr. Scott McKnight calls the Constantinian temptation. Hear me carefully this morning for a few minutes. Dr. McKnight names it thus for the time when the Roman Empire under the Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the empire. It was about 325 years after the time of Christ. Up to that point, Christians lived as a minority, often persecuted. But Constantine, for whatever reason, and I don't know the politics of it all, but Constantine became a convert and insisted that all the soldiers in his army become converts. And within a matter of a few years, the empire was officially Christian. It was advantageous to become that. That's what the emperor said was important. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there was no change of heart. There was no personal experience of the redemption of the Holy Spirit by many people. And what happened, if you study history, and we don't have time to do a history lesson, but something was born that we call Christendom. You've heard the term. Christendom spread throughout Europe. The Pope was nominally the king of kings, and all the kings throughout Europe were subject to him. 
There was this merger of spiritual power and secular power. And the kings of earth became the enforcers of supposedly the principles of the kingdom. It's one of the ugliest, it's one of the ugliest seasons in Christianity. Corruption crept in. The power of the state was often used to persecute or kill people, not for their relationship to Christ, but their refusal to follow the policies of the church, which were also the policies of the state. It was a horrible time. Along came Martin Luther, the Reformation about 1500. And unfortunately, Martin Luther, while challenging the authority of the church, Martin Luther and one of the people who followed him, John Calvin, did exactly the same thing. They merged the state and the church, and there too, some awful things began to happen. You say, well, I'm glad I don't live in that time. No, it followed us right here to America. Yeah. If you look at history, the Puritans were deceived by the Constantinian temptation. The Puritans left Europe seeking freedom of religion as long as it was their religion. They drove dissenters from their colony because the power of the state was merged with the power of the church. There was one guy named Roger Williams. You read him. He was a Baptist. Even they had Baptists back then. And Roger Williams said, no, the church must be independent of the power of the state. The power of the church is the power of the Holy Spirit. And Roger Williams, eventually his ideas prevailed in America. So we have officially a separation of church and state. A thing which you may not understand, but I believe that actually that is a wonderful thing for the church because it protects us against the corruption that power so easily brings to us. As you think of the kingdom, beware the Constantinian temptation. We Christians are called to be engaged with the world, but we are not called to use the levers of power to accomplish the purposes of Christ. That may be a new thought to you. So many Christians in the, in the last decade or so have been deluded as they've seen America decay. And I, I completely understand America has decayed in terrible ways. We are seeing things happen publicly and policies that are adopted as, as law that are abhorrent to a Christian way of life. But I think we have made a huge mistake beginning in the 1980s with moral majority right to this day. And you can disagree with me. This is not an official position of FDC, nor am I speaking for our pastor. But I think that that's been a terrible mistake. And I believe that any Christian who believes that somehow by electing the right people in Congress or the right representatives to the state legislature or the right people, the right person in the presidency will somehow bring about the kingdom of God are deeply deluded. We are called to speak truth to power, whomever holds that power you can only speak truth to power if you are willing to be subject to the king of kings even to the point of death or persecution i believe that with all of my heart let's wrap it up and some of you are saying man i'm sure glad he got through that that's a passion of mine the third part of the kingdom understanding and no message would be complete without this is the kingdom hope the hope for the king to come and the world restored. 
there is a largely unrealized part of the kingdom message for us. We hope for the fullness of Christ's reign and for the complete defeat of evil. Isaiah gave us these words of prophecy, words that are so deeply meaningful, and yet at the same time, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that they have not yet been fulfilled in completion. From Isaiah 65, he speaks of the people of God, and he says, They will not work for nothing. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune. They are the people blessed of the Lord, and their children are blessed. And I will answer them even before they call. While they're still talking to me about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayer. The wolf, the lamb, will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Poisonous snakes will strike no more. And in those days there will be no more hurt or destruction. For I, the Lord, have spoken. It hasn't happened yet, folks. That is why when I pray your kingdom come, an aspect of that is a yearning for the return of Christ Jesus. The king of glory, the king of all the earth. In the sometimes mysterious words of the Revelation, in fact, they're very mysterious. In the book of the Revelation, we learn that at his return, Jesus will not return the gentle man of the Gospels, which we deeply love. He will return as a fierce Lord, a fierce Lord who brings justice, who defeats sin and death, who removes Satan from his evil powers in this world. Listen to John's vision of that glorious king from Revelation chapter 1. He writes, Someone like a son of man was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest, and his head and hair were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the cascade of a waterfall. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the Alpha Omega, the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but now I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. What a picture of majesty. When I pray your kingdom come, I pray for the return of Jesus Christ. I pray for the defeat of wicked people. I pray for the takedown of evil rulers who bring death and suffering. I pray for the enlightenment and defeat of racists. I pray for those who oppress women, those who abuse children, those who are greedy and cost people terribly. But most of all, I pray for the beauty of the birth of the kingdom in all of its glory. Amen. John's vision concludes with this declaration. So the angel sounded his trumpet and there was a loud voice in heaven which said, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So much more to the message of the kingdom of God. But I pray these things will seed your thoughts as you pray your kingdom come. That it will begin with personal surrender, a choice for discipleship, a liberation from sin, a transformation in the image of Christ, that it will continue with ministry to the world, sharing his grace and his love, caring for those in need, and that it will include a future focus.
the hope that Jesus Christ, the King of glory, will return to defeat sin and Satan. Amen. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the lostest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the just one time like that. Would you bow your heads? And as we bow our heads, I'm going to ask Gary and Laura if they'd come and prepare to serve communion to us.
as we wait in the presence of the King. The Bible urges us as we approach the communion table to do so with confession and repentance. And so, Lord, we come to you with open hearts this morning. We thank you that you love us sometimes in spite of our failures, but always because of your grace. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we come to this holy table, that we may celebrate your gift in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, would you make your way to the front, receive the communion elements this morning, and then once we've all been served, we will eat and drink together. We read in 1 Corinthians from St. Paul, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. The broken bread, a powerful, powerful symbol of the Incarnation. That the God of the ages humbled himself and became part of his own creation. Falling like a seed into the earth to die and grow that he might become for us the bread of life. I encourage you to take the bread this morning. And as we give thanks, may the body of Christ nourish you in your body, in your body, in your soul, in your mind, in your heart. Father, thank you for the bread of life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Feed us. Nourish us. Heal us. Prepare us for a life of discipleship. May your work in us and through us, I pray. In the name of the one who is the bread of life. Amen. Shall we eat of the bread? if you would stand as we prepare to take the cup. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Remember me as often as you eat and drink. I hope we don't lose power before we're done with service. I see flickering lights, or is it my eyes? The new covenant. 
a promise, more than a promise, eternal life written in blood for you, for me. Father, we thank you for the blood of your Son. We thank you that we are people reconciled to you, at peace, given life eternal. As we drink this cup, I pray that the blood of Christ will become so very real to us that we would cherish the salvation that is gifted to us by grace so that we will humbly kneel as subjects of our eternal King with great joy. In Jesus' name, shall we drink the cup. Hallelujah. Can you say thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. Receive the benediction this morning as I close. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible that it it is for us to understand his decisions and ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has ever given so much to him that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Now all glory be to him forever. Amen and amen. Go in peace. God bless you. Get home. Be safe. Get snug as a bug in a rug, and we'll hope to see you next week.